What's up, everybody? Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm here just to tell you real quick what we're planning to talk about on today's episode. We have an absolutely wonderful episode with myself and Pat Boyle here to talk about the New York Knicks on their eight-game win streak. Also, we have to talk about some NFL topics. Of course, a wild Week 15 and now a Week 16 where a couple quarterbacks have to prove it or lose it or... A couple teams, man, they're going to be left for dead if they don't figure it out this week. And, you know, we're going to talk about Tua and the Dolphins and the Packers. We're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson now as well. Geno Smith and what the heck's going on with him. All these various teams that have playoff hopes but need to figure it out right away and might even need some help as well. So, seriously, fantastic episode. Great energy out of my man Pat Boyle as well. Can't thank him enough, as always, for talking sports with me here on Subway Sports Talk. So that's what we got. Wonderful episode. Nick's off the open for about 20 minutes or so, and then some NFL talk that will give you everything you need about recapping Week 15. Looking forward to Week 16 and beyond. It's Christmas week. It's awesome. It's a great time to be a sports fan. So stay tuned for a wonderful episode of Subway Sports Talk. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle coming at you. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and on YouTube. Joining me today to talk about the New York Knicks on an eight-game goddamn winning streak is Pat Boyle. Pat, you did not mush the Knicks today. The Knicks win eight in a row. How the hell are you? Because it feels good. It feels right. It feels everything's right in the world right now, right, man? I mean, the Knicks got the franchise point guard. Brunson continues to prove it almost on a nightly basis, and he's been doing it with the scoring, right? He hasn't been dishing out a ton of dimes lately. The assists have actually been a little bit down, but my God, man, eight wins in a row. The greatest thing Tom Thibodeau did in his coaching career, in his Knicks coaching career so far, and I tweeted this, was sending, D as much as I love him, D. Rose, Cam Reddish, and Fournier into the nether realms. And then uh, altering this starting lineup, playing Deuce McBride, giving uh, Q Grimes 30-plus minutes a night. And, I mean, dude, look what's happened. They play they play incredible defense. They've, they're one of the best defensive teams in the last two, three weeks here. And they absolutely stomp the Warriors out. I know Curry is out. I know Wiggins is out. Doesn't matter. Uh, that was another huge win. They led. They didn't. They led the entire game. Never looked back. And yeah, I gave out a a, a pick um, on my Twitter before the game and said we would. You know, you and me would break it down after. You know, DraftKings gave the plug and everything. And I said, give me Brunson five assists. He had five. I said, give me Randall eight rebounds. He's been a rebound machine. He had a dozen. And I and I said I didn't want to mush the Knicks. I could have taken a money line and the odds would have been like plus one eighty plus 200 maybe, somewhere in that range. And instead, I went Warriors plus 15 and a half. And it was plus 140 odds. And the Warriors lose by 38 
points. But hey, eight wins in a row, baby. Knicks tape. Let's go. This team is incredible right now. They're locked in. That was an anti-mush, if you will, right? Like you, you actually went so far the other way that you anti-mush them. A little reverse psychology locked in the Knicks for the win uh, in that game. But now you make some great points. Obviously, the big thing we're going to talk about at some point in, in a couple minutes here is how the rotation changed, and so did the entire vibe around this team. But one thing I keep texting my buddy Alec about with the Knicks here, where we don't want to get too too excited, too worked up with some of these wins here, but we also want to be proud of, of what we're seeing on the court, you know, night in, night out now for eight games in a row. Two years ago, when this team made their run to the four seed and had this uh, town buzzing and caring about the New York Knicks and basketball for like an entire season into the playoffs, which is amazing, they consistently took care of business, right? They beat the teams that they were supposed to beat. So I don't want to hear a lot of the negativity about, oh, they're beating bad teams. Oh, they're just beating people who they're supposed to beat. That's something that the Knicks did not do for a really long time. So when they're consistently beating teams, whether it's the sixth-ranked team in a conference or the 12th-ranked team in a conference, I don't care. That is an absolute necessity for them to hang around in this conference because we're also going to talk about some of the competition that they have in the Eastern Conference. Right now, just right now, not, not in the past month, this is currently right now. The Knicks have an eight-game win streak. Right above them are the Sixers, Nets, and Cavs in the Eastern Conference standing. The Sixers have a five-game win streak. The Nets have a six-game win streak. And the Cavs have a four-game win streak. Cavs and Sixers won seven out of 10. Nets won nine out of 10. So if we're going to sit here and complain about the Knicks only beating teams that they're supposed to beat for the most part, then we're going to have to say that about all the teams, right? So I don't care. I don't want to hear that. I am happy with the Knicks winning whether they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks or the Detroit Pistons. Wins are wins, especially when there's so many positives happening from every single player in this rotation on a seemingly night-in, night-out basis. And, and dude, I mean, look, the, the day, this, December 3rd, when they gave up 41 in the third quarter to the Mavericks and looked like it was a total fucking disaster. It was Mess. Same, the same problems that we've been screaming about under Tibbs for the last three years. They come out of the halftime break and they look like they went into the halftime and got fucking hammered, like liquored up. And then they came out and decided to play the third quarter of basketball. That's what this team had looked like um, this year at times, two years ago at times, last year so many times. And it was like, where, where, what happened in the halftime locker room? Like, what is Tibbs doing? What is he saying? What are the or, or what are the guys doing? What are the players doing that they think they have a game in the bag? And that was the last ugly basketball that I've seen from the, you know, there's been a couple like, you know, small stretches, but you know, it's hard to pick out any when you're on an eight game winning streak. But after that, a day later, back to back, they play the Cavs. They hold them to 81 points. That was just a defensive masterclass. And I think something clicked in the third quarter of that Dallas game. Cause I think that was at the time when Tibbs had only started to make the rotation changes. And then, I mean, dude, they found their gel. They found their chemistry held Atlanta to 89, held Charlotte to 102, Sacramento to 99, the Bulls to 91, Pacers to 106, and the shorthanded Warriors to 94. So, I mean, look, you know, the thing is, and I know you say you don't want to get too caught up, but this is a, a an identity that this team has finally grabbed a hold of now. And this is something that you can play night in and night out. It's what has made the Boston Celtics a top-tier 
you know, elite team is the defense. The defense is there on a night to night basis. It's not like the Knicks are getting red hot from three and they're hitting, you know, 17, 18 threes a game. They're, they're, they're one of the worst five teams in three point percentage in the NBA. They don't shoot the three ball. Well, but when you play such great defense and you guys, and you got guys like Grimes, that is a great on ball defender. You got Deuce McBride coming off. Now, finally getting meaningful minutes, what we've been screaming about for the last year, um, you know, coming in and making a difference. Jericho Sims, that's a guy I don't want to get caught in a fucking dark alley with if you're not his friend because, my God, he is a brick shithouse. Um, guys like that have changed the identity of this team. And then you got the big three that have started and played every single game together this year. Brunson, Barrett, Randall. Barrett's still got a lot to work on as a fan. And, you know, you look at him in year, what, four now? compared to what, where he was in the beginning of his career, there's still a lot that needs to improve. Um, but, you know, again, that's, you know, we're, uh, I feel like I'm grasping for straws at this point now and, and looking for things to pick out about this team that need to improve. Um, and Brunson said it in the, in the post game, um, you know, on Tuesday night when they, when they beat Golden State and Jared, uh, Jared Greenberg's like asking him, he's like, oh, is this everything you dreamed of? And he goes, look, he goes, you know, we, we need to keep stacking wins, right? We got a lot to improve on. And he's like, well, what do you need to improve on? And Brunson goes, everything. So, yeah, I don't think this team has the mindset that, hey, we've won eight in a row. Now we're one of the best teams in the East. Let's let's rest on our laurels and not play defense. Um, but, you know, the, the three guys that you're looking for to, to do the scoring for this team, they're doing it. Like 20 points each a clip on, on any given night. And then there's a night where you need Randall to get step up and hit 30, 35. He, he did it. Brunson stepped up and went for 30 against the Pacers. So, I mean, look, man. I just want to ride this high as long as it goes and uh, bring on the fucking Toronto Raptors on Wednesday, a day later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to give some numbers there, over the last eight games, all three of those players are averaging over 20 points per game. So we have, uh, as I just clicked off my page here by accident, we have Jalen Brunson at 20 and a half points per game. Julius Randle, 25 points per game. And RJ Barrett, just under 22 points per game. Brunson's shooting almost 50% from three over the past eight games. This big three is actually playing like, like such. They're playing like a big three. On top of it, Randall and Brunson both averaging near five assists. Uh, Brunson almost near six. And that's just like, it's, it's just what you need from those three if you want to be a competitive team. And then everything you get from Grimes is an absolute cherry on top. There's a reason why his name was brought up all summer when we're thinking about trading uh, a big chunk of this team for Donovan Mitchell or name the other star that was in the conversation and nobody wanted to get rid of Grimes. This is why every team in the NBA would want Quentin Grimes on their team. Knockdown shooter, grinder on defense, good size, does everything correct. Love Love that he's finally healthy and a huge part of this rotation. He can't get enough credit. And another thing, I can't get enough of Mitchell Robinson, Pat. I, I, I know the counting statistics aren't going to be there all the time. And I know he flashed a little frustration on Twitter at certain points about him not always being utilized as an offensive threat. I don't care. This dude is an absolute difference maker on the court on both ends because offensively, with the offensive rebounding, with the putbacks, with the lob threat, he's a, a force of nature. You call you call Jericho Sims a brick shit house. Mitch Robinson's right there. The two of them don't let any opposing side off easy with the mass, just the mass and energy that they bring to the boards every single game. And Mitch has been blowing me away this year. 
I think the health of Mitch, the health of Grimes, uh, pretty much coincided perfectly with this team reaching that upper trajectory, right aligned with, you know, removing Rose Fournier and, uh, and uh, Cam Reddish from the lineup here. So I'm, I'm all in with the energies right now around this franchise and, and the Mitchell Robinson part of it makes me super excited too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it just goes along with that defensive identity. And I know you mentioned, you know, him fr- uh, flashing some frustrations uh, at, at times on social media. Look, he can't shoot still outside of 10 feet. So when you right. can't do that, you know, you got to get your licks when you take them. There was a play today where I think it was one of the first plays or was in the second quarter. Brunson, uh, again, just finds a way to get past the initial defender and penetrates the lane. He keeps doing it on a nightly basis. He's one of the best in the NBA at doing that. Uh, you know, he's not going to be a deadly shooter, um, but his ability to get into the paint and force defenses then to rotate around and get out of position is what makes him so good. He did it uh, again against Golden State, and then Mitch is right there. I think it was either Draymond or Looney had to had to switch over, and just a little no-look underhand scoop pass, Robinson, easy dunk. I mean, that, those are plays that, that Mitch needs to feed off of, and he's got to make those, and if somebody comes over and hacks him, he's got to then hit his free throws, which, you know, you look at his free throw numbers, 49%. Like, you got to clean that shit up. So I don't want to hear him talking, fr- you know, voicing frustrations about offense when you can't even make half your fucking free throws. So he has the ability to, to be a guy that can average 13, 14 points a game per night if he can hit free throws. So it's, there's going to be a lot of Hacker Robinson's, um, you know, moments, and there, are, there already are. But, you know, his def- – like, not to take away from his defending. He's averaging two blocks a game. This is looking like early Mitchell Robinson when we were like, holy shit, he exploded onto the scene, and we're like, this kid's going to be like the best defender, the best rim protector in the NBA. And then his defense kind of got away from him a little bit. I mean, you look at what he's done just the last couple of games here. Uh, Four blocks against the Pacers, block against Chicago, two against the Bulls in the earlier meeting, two against the Kings, three against the Hornets. I mean, dude, you get past the first level of defense with Grimes, with Deuce McBride's there, when Randall and Randall's playing defense this year, don't take that away from him. You get to the second level, now you got to meet Mitchell Robinson at the rim. So it just just goes along with – the identity that this team has taken on, it, it it is annoying and it's frustrating that we didn't see this last year under Tibbs when he refused to play the younger kids. But now that he's embraced it, um, as much as you want to crush Tibbs for doing it, taking so long to do this, got to give him credit now for how it's panning out. Better late than never is absolutely true in this scenario here. And uh, one more note, Mitch Robinson, last eight games and during the win streak, 71% from the free throw line which is enormous. Like you said, it's just, it's huge when he can put those free throws in after, you know, a contested offensive rebound put back attempt that he doesn't put in and he goes to the line. Like you don't want that to be one point. You need that to be two. So he's doing a little bit better from the line. Hopefully he'll keep that one up. Um, But I do want to talk about one last thing here on the Knicks front, Pat, before we move on to some NFL talk. So we got, um, obviously this, this win streak is great. We talked about the rotations. And the Derrick Rose side of things is obviously difficult for some fans because it's it's tough. We all love Derrick Rose. I love Derrick Rose. He's one of my favorite Knicks in the last five, 10 years, which is sad to say, but also very true. So what what happens from here? You know, is, is there a world, in your opinion, that Rose, Fournier, or Reddish end up back in this rotation at some point? Or do you feel very confident and locked in with the people that are truly part of it now, which include just to run through it real quick, 
Obviously, the starters in Brunson, Barrett, Grimes, Randall, and Robinson. Add to that is McBride, Hartenstein, Quickly, Sims, and that's it. Maybe Toppin if, if he's not uh, injured. Yeah, I mean, the, there's no reason to put these guys back in the rotation. Not with how well the team is playing. I mean, I know they were, they were talking about it on the broadcast on TNT. And, uh, you know, Jared Greenberg was saying, well, obviously, D. Rose wants to be playing. He's a competitor. But, you know, he is he's taking on this mentor role. And Deuce McBride had nothing but, you know, incredible things to say about him and what he's learned from him already. Same thing with uh, with Grimes and Quickly. But, um, I mean, look, these they should be able to – they should be actively – Leon Rose should be actively trying to find teams to get a deal done for all three of these guys every single day. Um, and look, the only way they get back in the rotation, in my opinion, is if somebody gets if somebody gets hurt. Right. That's the only way that Evan Fournier is getting back. I think he's the last one on the totem pole right now. He is not seeing the court uh, any valuable minutes unless somebody like Grimes gets hurt. And uh you know, D Rose, I think if he's not the only way D Rose is getting in is if Deuce McBride or quickly uh, or Brunson get hurt. Right. One of those three right. guys and have to miss, you know, like a significant stretch of time. Reddish, I could see getting back in more so than the other two. Um, but even then, I mean, it feels like it needs to be an injury. Yeah, it does. For any three of those guys right now, yeah. the team is red hot. They have plenty of depth. It's not like they're, you know, they're getting tired down the stretch. You know, who knows? We'll see. This schedule uh, is pretty consistent, you know, playing basically every other day once they hit uh, tomorrow, once they hit Wednesday the 21st. I don't think they play another back-to-back um, until the middle of January. Yeah. They have at least a day off between every single game until the middle of January. So, you know, again, injuries could force that. Uh, I don't think it would be good, though, for Leon Rose to just be sitting back and hoping that there's an injury so that he can say, OK, thank God I didn't trade these guys, um, because the longer they wait, the, the, the more that their values are going to decrease Fournier, Reddish and Rose. I'm sure that there's some team that could use those guys uh, if teams that, you know, where injuries are piling up. So I don't see them getting back in the rotation unless there's yeah. an injury. Yeah, and selfishly, I kind of want Rose to be around. Just I, I like I like his presence, and I do think that in a pinch of needing some veteran minutes at the guard position, he can still provide it. He can still provide it. I don't think he was like the number one part of the problem of why this team wasn't succeeding. So in, in spot moments, why not? Why not? So last question for you, Pat. Looking at the Eastern Conference standings here, obviously the Bucks, Celtics, and Cavs have kind of been in a league of their own for the entirety of this year. You can argue the Nets are playing that well uh, as well. Then it's the Sixers, Knicks, Hawks, you know, uh, Heat, Pacers. Where do you kind of look at the Knicks here in this tier? Are they properly placed here at six, or do you think they can belong in that four or five conversation with the likes of the Nets and Sixers? Yeah, no, I mean, I think they absolutely can, man. And, and you know, again, just like any other team, we'll see how injuries play a factor because it's it's going to happen to one of these teams, multiple teams at some point in the season. You know, Knicks, had a, Knicks were a little banged up earlier in the year when Robinson was hurt. Uh, but, I mean, look, if this is the team, and I think we've got a decent enough sample size now, eight-game winning streak, even if they were losing a couple of these games, the defense has dramatically changed. So I think the Nets can absolutely be in the top four. They're not going to get in the top two, right? That's Milwaukee and Boston. I could honestly see a drop-off with Cleveland. 
I can honestly see a little bit yeah. of a drop off. As good as they've been, and Mitchell has been incredible, I feel like his production right now is a little unrealistic to think that he's going to be averaging 26, 27 points a game the rest of the year. Um, Allen and Mobley, tremendous front court. Um, but, you know, it, it just feels like that team, in my opinion, it feels like that team has performed a little bit above expectations. And I said, I think we did a podcast when we previewed the NBA season. And I said, I think Cleveland could be really good. They could be, a, you know, one of the top five teams in the East. And they're doing that. Um, they're 15-2 and two at home. They're not very good on the road. So, you know, again, it, it feels like maybe an injury to that team. You know, if, if Mitchell goes down for a couple weeks, if, if uh, you know, if Darius Garland gets hurt for a little bit, it feels like they're a, a, one injury away from maybe having the wheels not come off, but hitting a bit of a rough patch. So I think uh, Cleveland can easily hit a, a rough patch. The Nets, I mean, look, I still think they're a disaster waiting to happen. They're the only team hotter than the Knicks right now is probably the Brooklyn yep. Nets. They've won, what, 10 out of 11? Um, yep. I still think disaster is waiting to strike that team at any moment. So Nick can absolutely pass Brooklyn. And the Sixers, look, I mean, they started the season abysmally. They've been banged up with injuries, right? It was Harden at first, then it was now it's Maxi. Uh, Joel's continued to try to carry this team. But, I mean, Philadelphia, they're – they're no world beaters. They're they're not a top two team in the East. So yeah, I can absolutely see the Knicks getting a top four seed, and I think it is an, a legit realistic goal now to say that this team should and can avoid the play-in. They should be able to be a, a a top six team in the East at worst. Which frankly, I did not think was likely coming into the season. Yeah, and we said, look, this team. Up. We said this team's probably a play-in team, right? Maybe yeah. eight or nine. But I mean, again. We weren't force forecasting Tibbs to change the rotation and then the, the team to play, you know, an elite level of defense. To do what we all were saying for him to do last year, right? Yeah. Who would have who thought? Who would have thought? But obviously the Brunson side of things makes a big difference because he's been as advertised. And and I, I feel hesitant to use that term as advertised because I think his advertisements are a little bit all over the place. You know, depending on who you ask, depending on what part of Nick's Twitter you're you're kind of intertwined with some people expected this 25 per game type of guy. Some people thought it was a huge overpay and, and realistically it was somewhere in the middle where he's not going to average 26 points per game. I've been saying that all along that anybody who thought that is going to be disappointed. But if you watch him and see what he can do to keep this offense on track and consistently put in, uh, put up good shots when he's pressured or when they desperately need one, I mean, it takes so much pressure off Randall, and he's damn good at it. He's pretty damn efficient. Uh, a few notes here. Donovan Mitchell shooting 43% on nine threes per game this year. So if you're talking about regression, that seems like it could be a part of it. Like 43% on nine threes, that's ridiculous. Like Steph Curry can do that. Most other people cannot. So we'll see if that comes down to earth. He's averaging 29 points per game right now. Joel Embiid. Which is just stupid. Yeah, it's absolutely silly. So we'll see where he ends up because he could easily average 27, 28 points. Is he going to do it that efficiently? I'm not 100% convinced. We shall see. And then Joel Embiid averaging 33 points right now per game, just you know, putting that team on his back, which is something that as impressive as it is and as much as he might belong in that MVP conversation, do the Sixers want and or need him to be taking that much of a burden for this entire season? Probably not. 
Yeah, and you know, again, Cleveland's been so good, and the reason I'm I'm kind of targeting the Cavs here as a team that I think will drop off, even if they don't get hurt, they don't have a lot of depth, right? Like they are very starter reliant. They get good defense off the bench from guys like Chetty Osman and Isaac Okoro, but you know, again, if if Donovan Mitchell and Garland aren't doing the scoring for this team, I mean. You know, you better hope that Allen can step up, that Mobley can step up, that Karis LeVert can step up. He's been very up and down with his shooting this year. They don't have the offensive depth. They got good defense coming off the bench. But again, if Mitchell's not going for 30 or Garland's not stepping up, like we, you know, we had the, what, the 51-point game when Mitchell was hurt a couple weeks back. Like, this team, again, they've only got one or two guys that are legitimately going to hurt you on a consistent basis. They're, they're super tough in the front court, right? Mobley Allen, that's a deadly one-two defensive combo. But just to build off of that, uh, if any Cavaliers fans are, are, are listening and saying, who's this, this fucking hater right now? So I, I backed it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it's fair. And they, they did it last year. They fell off last year. They didn't have Mitchell last year, but they got banged up and they went from that top four seed to a play-in team. They have a much higher floor this year. You're not saying they're going to drop off to the nine seed, but you're saying that in the realm of three, four, five, six, you know, they're not a lock to be number three, which I think is fair because not only are the Knicks on this streak, but the Nets are on their ass as well. It's going to be exciting. And I cannot wait to continue to watch this Eastern conference and the New York Knicks team. So if you're listening, by the way, on the podcast app, stick with us. We'll be on to NFL talk in just a moment. But if you're on YouTube, click over to our next video. We're talking football. We're talking uh, teams that are on their last licks here, last chance to save their season, as well as some quarterbacks who still have a whole lot to prove. So, Pat, good stuff on the Knicks. We'll talk some NFL in just a second. And with all that being said, I have to come out here and talk about, obviously, our friends over at DraftKings because the NBA season is heating up, y'all, and there are so many unknowns in this league still. But there are some things that are starting to shake out and take shape. I remember in the preseason pod, I mentioned this guy as one of the longer shot MVPs that I like that I threw a little wager on on DraftKings. That's Jason Tatum. This guy's averaging 30 points a game. He's top five in the league in win shares, according to basketball reference. Listen, the odds are not going to get better than they are now. He's already gone down a little bit from where he was to start the season at plus 1,500. Now, futures... They're starting to change. He's got plus 350. You missed out on the big-time odds. He's got now the third best odds, but it's not too late. That's still a good payout, and there are some other folks that might be interesting to throw some money on as well, but Tatum, to me, is one of those guys that might just be his year. And when I'm looking to get into the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Now check this out. That's for new customers. What can everyone else get? Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. This has been going on all year. It ain't stopping now. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player pops like rebounds, points, three-pointers made, and more. And the more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. This has been nice for me because I, I like dabbling throughout the week. You know, Sundays are obviously big time days, but then you got basketball throughout the week. You get involved with the same game parlay. Maybe you don't even like a side. I do that sometimes. I don't even like a side, but I think this guy might get 20 or this guy might get 10 rebounds. And all of a sudden, 
I got a plus 300 same game parlay that's getting stepped up from DraftKings and looking even better. So download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Pat Boyle also here. Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, and on YouTube. We're here to talk about the NFL. If you didn't hear our Knicks talk and you're on YouTube right now, head over back to the the Knicks video to hear some fantastic Knicks talk while they're on the eight-game win streak. But we also had week 15 in the books. Pat, week 15, what a wild ride that was. I don't even know. There's a million places to start, but basically, what the hell? What the hell was that? What What a weird week 15, man. Dude, I mean, just whenever you think it's over, it's the closest fucking thing from being over. And as bad of a product as some of these primetime games have been this year, I mean, my goodness, man, have we been treated to just some mind-blowing, absurd finishes? Saturday, 33-0, Jeff Saturday. I mean, is there any more surefire way to make sure that you're not a permanent NFL head coach going forward? The Vikings come all the way back, win that one. Bills down, what, 29-21 in the fourth quarter, and then they all of a sudden turn on the switch, which, by the way, we do have to talk a little Tua. I know Chris Mule is going to be listening. Uh, he sent me he sent me a Tua meme, uh, my text messages, even in the loss. That felt like a really – as close to a win, I think, as you could have for the Miami Dolphins. And then, uh, you know, the Jets blow a late one, right? The Cowboys blow a 17-point lead. The Chiefs go to overtime with the Texans. And uh, Houston had a chance. They had the ball. All they would have needed was a field goal. And, of course, Davis Mills coughs up the pill. The Patriots and the dumbest finish you'll ever see in your entire life. I mean, my goodness, man. And the Buccaneers going up 17-0 and still losing by double digits. I mean, dude, let's let's get into it because week 15 was a hell of a ride. It was a hell of a ride, and I'm sorry to even do this to you, Pat. Anyone listening on YouTube here, I just pulled up the Week 15 picks for you, myself, and Mark Shenlugan. I'll start with the positives. I was 3-1-1. and My only push was uh, the Chargers minus 3, which is my second push of the year, Pat, both on Chargers minus 3. How's that? How's that? Uh, and then I also lost on the Panthers versus Steelers. The Steelers won that one. Mark Lugan and I both benefited from that ridiculous ending in the Raiders game. Obviously, they would have had a chance to win it overtime, but you know what a gift that one was. Mark three and two, and Pat, I'm sorry, you joined it. You joined the club that no one wants to join with the zero and five week. I apologize to bring this news to you, dude. I am I am less sneed from now on when it comes to the the NFL picks. Fuck them picks. <laughs> Bro, I mean, that's how I'm treating them from now on. I I almost wanted to give you like a mea culpa on the Jets pick, because if you listen to our picks podcast last week, you know, part of your reasoning on backing the Jets, like any normal human being was because Mike Mike White White. was going to be playing quarterback. Now, it turns out we're another week ahead and he's still not going to be playing quarterback on Thursday night against the Jaguars. We'll get to that in a little while. Um, But you know, you wouldn't have made that pick if Zach Wilson was was the quarterback. You wouldn't have. And I'm Absolutely not, not. I would have taken the Lions. Right. You may have may or may have not made the Lions one of your picks, but you definitely wouldn't have had the Jets. So I almost wanted to give you like a mea culpa on that, but you didn't ask for it. It is what it is. You're going to wear this one on the chin. Some of these other ones, though, dude. I mean, I can't believe it. 
with the Chiefs too, especially because you and Mark had your little back and forth about that, and then they win by six in overtime when you had a minus six and a half. And, and then honestly, perhaps the most frustrating one could be the Buccaneers, who were up by 17 points. At one point, you had a 24-point lead from a from a spread perspective, and they did not cover, and did not cover even by like a good bit. Uh, it's it's embarrassing. They turned the ball over four times in 15 offensive plays. Four oh. times in one quarter. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Tom Brady in a little bit. Uh, if we talk about quarterbacks that that need to prove it the most coming up this weekend, he's one of them. And holy oh. shit, man! I mean, there has been times where like I feel like we've dodged throwing the pitchforks and the fire at Tom Brady this year as much as we've been as much as we've tried. I said when they lost to the Panthers a couple weeks back, 21 to three, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. That was the worst quarter I've ever seen Tom Brady play that third quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals. He looked absolutely lost. I mean, he looked the furthest thing from a guy that has won seven, six, seven Super Bowl rings. So I I just, I was in disbelief watching that on red zone and Scott and, and Hanson keeps going back to that game. Like literally every 90 seconds, another turnover, another one. So yeah, that the Vikings minus four. I mean, a miracle that they even win the game, but <laughs> you know, right? I, you chalk that one up as a loss, like in the second quarter. <laughs> and then I know a lot of DC fans are salty as hell about the officiating. Giants right. got some calls that didn't go their way, but I mean, those last two plays, dude. Brian Robinson runs it in. Terry McLaurin asking the ref if he's okay. The ref looks like he points there. He moves up a foot, gives him another thumb up. Guy throws a flag anyway. And I don't know how the fuck you don't call pass interference on Darnay Holmes, who was, I mean, bear hugging, bear hugging. Who was it? Dotson? It wasn't McLaurin. It was either Dotson or, um, or Sims on that last play, and just right. no flag. So here's Dotson. I knew it was going to be the under, and maybe that's a spot where I said, just give me the under, you know, straight right. up. But I thought, I thought with how bad the Giants' defense had been lately, and how banged up the secondary was that Heineke would be able to take advantage of it. He's another guy we're going to talk about because I don't know how off a bye week playing the same team twice, you only put up 12 points. So Yeah, that was bad. It looked fuck like them the picks. Gi- <laughs> fuck them picks. It looked like the Giants were the team that was off a bye, right? Like it, it looked like they were the ones who had some juice. And again, we're going to get more into all these games. That's just a little mini recap of our picks there. And, and it's got to be a little frustrating for you, Pat, because you have utilized the Giants in so many teaser legs this year. To, to great success too, right? Like you've hit the Giants on teaser legs a bunch this year, and then you went against them. You said you were fading the Giants, did not land, but that's all right. Listen, you don't you don't you don't lose when you lose some picks. You lose when you give up. So we'll be back this week with more picks because fuck them picks. Anyways, our plan here today with the NFL talk is to basically look at the upcoming games in Week 16 and generally with the playoffs starting to shape out and we're going to look at some of these teams that are on their last legs that uh what, what was the term you used pat in the text you sent me the other, uh, earlier today we left them for dead left for dead teams that are left for dead if they don't get it done this week there's a number of those teams that are going into you know bill simmons uses the term loser leaves town matchups sometimes some of these matchups are not where no matter who loses they're both out but some of these teams really need to win now or else it's legitimately over. Even with wins, some of their outlooks are a little bit bleak. So we're going to talk about some of those teams 
And then there are a number of quarterbacks that we want to talk about that still have a lot to prove this year and have a lot to play for. So we got all that stuff to talk about. But Pat, can we can we start on the Thursday night? Since we're recording this on Tuesday, there's two days before the Jets and Jaguars take place uh, on Thursday night on Amazon. Zach Wilson's the quarterback. And I got to say this, I know you've obviously been on the Mike White train. Mark Lugan's not here to be a psychopath and go so hard against that take. So the one thing I will have to say, Robert Sala seemed absolutely defeated today saying that Mike White would not be cleared. I was at the game on Sunday in MetLife where the Jets faced the Lions and, you know, they had their chances. They, they had opportunities, didn't quite get going. They had their big moments. Zach Wilson threw a big play, broke in and whatever. They scored a touchdown. The, there was no juice on offense, though. How does this team respond? How does this team get their best foot forward on Thursday if you think it's possible at all with the defeated sound in their head coach's voice that their quarterback, Mike White, will still not be cleared? Hey, they're going to have to rely on the defense, man. And I and I heard a lot of takes, and, and I got to call him out, um, our buddy Sean Marash who uh, has the Giants podcast and he's a producer for DA show on CBS sports radio. He hosted going into the Giants game on the fan on Sunday. And he's, you know, he went contrarian in my opinion, where he knew everybody wanted to crush Zach Wilson and Zach played bad, but he wasn't horrendous. Like I think a lot of people myself were expecting threw for 300 yards, but he He wasn't a disaster. He wasn't a disaster, but he still missed plenty of throws. Um, and you know, of course our guy, Sean goes, Oh, well, that's the defense's fault. That is, I keep hearing this is a Super Bowl defense and they, they can't, they can't close out the game. The giant, the jets defense gave up 13 points. They gave up 13 points, right? The lions ran a punt back. The jets defense had, didn't give up a touchdown the entire day until the final lions drive and it's fourth and inches. And yeah, they run a fucking little, a rub route across the middle for Brock Wright, the third string tight end. And nobody's co- somebody doesn't stick to their assignment and cover him. Okay. Should he have been tackled even after he's running for 30 yards? Yes, he should have, but that is not on the jets defense who gave up one touchdown all day and 13 points. Um, so Zach, uh, you know, they've got to rely on this defense because they are top five in yards allowed per game. They are top five in scoring per game on the defensive side. That's how they're going to win this game on Thursday. And the Jets 7-7 seven and seven, that have now lost three in a row feels miles away from a 6-8 and eight Jaguars team that has kind of been playing really well now outside of a crushing defeat to the Detroit Lions a couple of weeks back. And Trevor Lawrence, you're going to see number one in, the, in last year in 2021 draft versus number two, Trevor Lawrence versus Zach Wilson. This matchup going into this year, I think a lot of people were saying, you know, you look forward to this game all the way to Thursday night. I don't think you were expecting these teams to be in playoff hunts, and the Jaguars are very on the outside looking in right now. But you were saying, okay, this is going to be Trevor versus Zach, one versus two. Let's see who's the better QB. And, I mean, they couldn't be further from what we're looking at this game now as, where the Jets were 7-4 and and the quarterback is now Mike White versus the Jaguars who are six and eight, but they know that Trevor Lawrence is their quarterback. They've put up 76 points in the last two weeks. Trevor Lawrence has 11 touchdowns to one pick in the last four games. He is playing like a franchise quarterback. So it's on the Jets defense to go out and stop him. Um, they're hoping to get Quinn and Williams back. 
that would be huge because they barely pressured Jared Goff and the Lions all day on Sunday. And then the weather is once again going to be a huge factor. Uh, I'm looking ahead already Thursday, East Rutherford, potential for heavy rainfall all night, chance of rain 100%. Rainfall may reach one inch. So it's going to be a monsoon, most likely at MetLife Stadium with 18 mile an hour winds. This is once again a game that I think is lining up in the Jets' favor in that regard because what do you do? You get to the run game, right? Trevor Lawrence probably, with the weather, isn't going to be able to throw the ball as efficiently as he has been the last couple of weeks. So if the Jets can run the ball and limit the big plays on defense, which again, with the weather and with how good they've been, they should be able to do, the Jets can win this game. But, you know, again, the Jets could have won the game on Sunday and they only put up 17 points once again. So um, it's I, I this is really this game's going to be up in the air. The weather's going to be a big factor. Uh, but it feels like if the Jets lose this game on Thursday, they're toast. Yeah, they're toast because that that's just an insurmountable lead that the you know the Chargers and the Dolphins and who knows what the Patriots will do, and then the Jaguars even have the tiebreak over the Jets if they win that game. So 100%. And I find interesting, Pat, the line opened up in the Jets' favor again, and that was probably still you know, up in the air about who was going to be the quarterback, but it was minus one and a half in the Jets' favor, Mike White or Zach Wilson. When that changed, it only dropped a point and a half, and I think what is keeping it right now out of pick that I'm seeing here is the weather, is that that favors the Jets. And I, I remember being you know, in the parking lot. We're all hanging out. We're having our drinks and whatnot. People are saying, oh, man, Zach Wilson, I can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? The Zach Wilson thing, it stings, right? You want Mike White to be playing quarterback right now, but I truly believe that the Quinn and Williams loss is actually a bigger loss for the New York Jets than, than the quarterback situation right now. And that's not even a knock on, on Mike White or it's not even a, a praise of Zach Wilson. It is truly just a praise of Quinn and Williams and the effect that he has on opposing offenses. That dude is an absolute savage, and he is probably more important than who's playing quarterback for the New York Jets right now. Uh, and you can't say that about many players in the NFL, and you definitely can't say it about many interior defensive linemen for that matter. No, absolutely. I mean, 11 sacks as a guy, as a, as a nose tackle, I mean, he has been, you know, everything they hoped he would be when they drafted him a couple of years ago. Now in his fourth season, he showed you glimpses of it the last two years, seven sacks in 2020, six sacks last year. He's been able to stay healthy for most of his career. He's only missed a handful of games. And then this year, 11 sacks. And that injury just came at a really, really bad time because he's the anchor of that defensive line. He stops the run. He clogs things up in the middle. And then he's able to just bull rush guys and get to the quarterback. And they do a lot of things with being able to move him along the defensive line. So, look, he's a game-time decision right now. I'm not optimistic he plays. I feel like whenever a guy says they're a game-time decision this year, they have not played. Um, Strained calf. I mean, look, I have no idea what, what it's, what it's looking like and what he feels like, but um, you know, if they get him back and he can play and he's a hundred percent, that's awesome. Because again, they barely got any pressures on golf on, uh, on Sunday. And the one thing that Trevor Lawrence has been susceptible to is get under pressure and the blitz. So if they can get him under pressure, man, I mean, look, that plays right into the jets favor. Uh, But you're right. Quinn and Williams uh, (laughs) is Right now, you know, when you look at Mike White versus Zach Wilson, it's it's Quinnen Williams is playing a big a bigger factor. And then, you know, again, just really quickly here, the thing with Zach is the way that he has been 
just totally disrespected by New York media and even now national media. It's now it got to the tipping point where now everybody like, I, yeah, where I saw, I think it was um, Alex Smith said on Monday night football going, you know, the countdown preview where he's like, Oh, well, you know, where's the blame for Robert Sala because they have failed this kid. Have they failed him? Have they failed Zach Wilson? Look, Robert Sala, he deserves to get crushed for his, a horrendous clock mismanagement on Sunday thinking that he, you know, maybe he thought he could bring the timeouts into Thursday and bring them home for his kids. <laughs> um, you know, not calling the timeouts there with under a minute left to go and thinking that, Oh, we didn't want to, you know, get the wrong call of a challenge. Well, dude, just run up to the fucking line and spike the ball then. And that way that you've already run another play right. and you still can stop the clock uh, rather than let, was it 19 seconds tick off? But one thing that Robert Sala doesn't deserve to get crushed for is, uh, the way and him and Joe Douglas, all they have done to go to support Zach Wilson, the, the draft last year, they drafted the first four rounds, all offensive guys, drafting the running back, Michael Carter, drafting Garrett Wilson, drafting Elijah Moore, signing Tyler Conklin, signing CJ Uzama, drafting Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, they have essentially gone out of their way to only draft offensive players. And, and the crazy thing about it is that the last year, the defense went from one of the worst historically in the league to now one of the best in the league, which is, you know, again, they outside of drafting Sauce Gardner, they didn't do a ton in terms of drafting guys. Bringing in Quan Alexander's been big. DJ Reed's been big. But, you know, again, when it comes to what they've done, they have not failed Zach Wilson. It is just flat out apparent that he is not the guy. May I said it on the fan. I'll say it again. Maybe he can have a career somewhere else in some other system. But him and Mike LaFleur don't mesh. I mean, for God's sakes, they got the kid a quarterback coach to be on the sideline with him so Mike LaFleur could finally go in the, in the booth and play and call plays and have a bird's eye view. They have done more than enough to try to support this kid. Um, and his, his future, it's never going to be here in New York. It never will. I would trade him on day one of free agency if I'm the Jets. I don't know if they will. I think Joe Douglas at the same time is trying to hold on to um, you know, the fact that they drafted him number two overall as long as he can, because that's tied to his job. So they want Zach Wilson to be good. Trust me, they do. They don't want him to fail. They want him to be good because it makes Joe Douglas look that much better. But it has become increasingly obvious that he's not. And if you if you watch the game on Sunday, again, he threw it for 300 yards, but the happy feet in the pocket, he, re- he stares down his, his number one, you know, target all the time. And I keep, this is the most, I've the, 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 the phrase I've heard the most on the fan, on national media, on Twitter, and it's true. Zach Wilson makes the easy look hard. Mm-hmm. He makes the easy look hard, man. He throws. He's got no touch. Every single pass is 90 miles an hour, and he's got to break out of the pocket the second he feels the slightest bit of pressure, and it's just like, oh, just simplify the game, and Mike White has done that, so – uh, that's just something I wanted to address. People, you know, in the national media saying, oh, Robert Sala has failed Zach Wilson. They've done the exact opposite. Yeah, you can't blame Sala and Douglas for injuries of players who are awesome picks, right? Or awesome signings. You can't blame them for Brees Hall going down. He, he changed the whole outlook of this entire team. If Brees Hall doesn't get hurt, we might not even be in Mike White mania right now because this team might have ripped off another win or two. That's the impact that Brees Hall had on this offense and the Elijah Vera Tucker thing obviously being huge as well. It's crazy because you'd almost rather Zach Wilson, you almost 
feel more comfortable every time he throws the ball downfield, right? Like when he actually breaks the pocket and chucks the ball downfield, you almost feel better, even though it feels like a flash in the pan or it feels like a toss in the air. Like that is more consistent almost for him than some of the simple stuff. It's really incredibly frustrating. Uh, And last thing on, on that game here from the defensive side of things here for the Jets, if you take away that incredibly frustrating and just heartbreaking 51 yard pass to Brock Wright, Jared Goff threw for 200 yards, a guy who has been lighting it up, a guy who's putting up insane numbers. And it wasn't like it was crappy weather. Everyone's talking about Jared Goff can't play in the crappy weather. Yeah, it was a little bit chilly. It was sunny. It wasn't very windy. And this Jets team held Jared Goff and this highfalutin Detroit Lions offense to 200 yards passing. And the running attack wasn't that special either. You know, one or one big one from DeAndre Swift accounted for, for 50, almost 40% of his yards or something like that. Right. So the defense did their job. The offense did not, but it was something that you unfortunately kind of expected, even with the ball moving, they could not get in the end zone and they couldn't get the run game going against a Detroit Lions team. That is not good at stopping the run. Their defense is not a great run stopping defense yet. The jets could not get that going either way. So frustrating for the jets. We'll talk about uh, some more teams there, but you know, uh, we, we kind of touched everything there on the jets. I guess I'll just add this with Trevor Lawrence, man. If, if you said this a year ago or, or before the, or right after the draft in 2021 in 2022, the Jaguars and jets will face off in week 16 with both having playoff hopes alive. People would say, Oh my God, Look at that. The number one and number two pick worked out. (laughs) Not the case. Not the case, Pat. And you know what? If you're going to say that they're failing Zach Wilson, what the hell do you say about what the Baltimore Ravens have done to Lamar Jackson? Right? Like all the Jets have done is given him Garrett Wilson stud. Elijah Moore, great receiver. Two tight ends, uh, running backs, offensive linemen. Lamar Jackson thrown to Demarcus Robinson and Devin Duvernay. What? Who's right? now like, out for the rest of the year, I think. Who's out as well, right? So if, if Zach Wilson's getting failed by his franchise, what is happening to some of these other teams? What is happening to Daniel Jones? Is he getting absolutely failed? Is he getting flunked? Is he What's worse than an F, right? Richie James, I, I watched the game on Sunday night. I thought in my head that Richie James had 12 catches. He had four. He had yeah. four catches. They were just such big catches because it's such a it's such a shock when the Giants can pass uh, the ball 10 yards down the field and complete it because there's no one who could make a damn play. The Jets have guys who can make plays. Let's not, let's not get it twisted over here, man. Gosh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Oh God. All right. We need to move on from the Jets. Cause that, that, that gets, that gets you fired up a little bit, but that's okay. That's okay. So let's do this. Uh, let's do this. You want to do the quarterback part first? You want to do the teams that are left or dead? Well, it doesn't matter. I guess we already started on the Lawrence and, and the uh, Zach Wilson stuff. So let's talk about some of the quarterbacks here who have, who have something to play for here, who have something to prove. And I, I kind of want to start here with, uh, I kind of want to start with Geno Smith quickly. Cause I think it's going to be a quicker one. I, I just, I'm just curious here what your take is on Geno Smith. They're playing the Kansas city chiefs. Their playoff hopes are, are dwindling by the second here. Uh, they're currently on the outside looking in behind the two NFC East giants and commanders here. Geno's had a great season or a very solid season. I don't know what you want to call it exactly here, but they got the Chiefs this week. They got some games coming up. Uh, 
after that, where it's going to be the Jets, another good defense, and the Rams, who are, you know, they're they're dead basically here. But Geno Smith, is this story over, Pat? Is this story over, or is there still a puncher's chance for the Seahawks team to right the ship and make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, dude, they're, they're going downhill quick. And, you know, the Metcalf has been putting up some big numbers the last four weeks. He went through a little bit of a lull. Lockett, I think, is out this upcoming week already. I think they've, they've ruled him out. If I Yes, he's out. Yeah, if I read that correctly. So he's going to be without Lockett. And look, Kenneth Walker went out, and all of a sudden it looks like this this offense looks completely different. So, you know, is it – you know, Geno Smith said, oh, they, they didn't – they uh, they wrote me off. I didn't write back. Well, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe you want to grab your pen, Geno, because he's thrown <laughs> four picks now in the last four games. Right. And at some crucial times and he's thrown for a ton of yards the last couple of games, but they've been in, in catch up mode in basically every single one of these games. And now with the Giants went into the struggle, the Giants struggled. Washington has now uh, lost and tied the Giants their last two games and Seattle. They're one and four in their last five after they looked like they were going to be a playoff team. And they've played some tough teams, but I mean, lost to Tampa Bay and Germany. Then off the bye, they blow that game against Vegas. They barely beat Bryce Perkins and the Rams. And then they they collapse and they lose against Carolina. I mean, they were down two touchdowns right out of the chute. And then they were never really in that game against San Francisco. So, um, you know, the defense obviously has regressed to the mean. They were, the defense was pretty good the first couple of games. Now they are who we thought they were. Um, but look. I mean, the quarterback's got to overcome these things. Geno Smith throwing two picks against the Carolina Panthers and really hurting his team and putting them down in a hole early on and not being able to come back when it was there for them. Uh, Geno's got a lot to prove on Sunday. Now, look, I'm not saying that he's he should be able to beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. They're nine-and-a-half-point dogs. Uh, but they're 7-7, seven and seven, and they were 6-2 and two a couple of weeks back. And now it looks like with uh, the Lions being red hot, and the Giants beating Washington on Sunday, there's really only one spot for Seattle to get into the playoffs. And if they lose to Kansas City on Sunday, which in all accounts they probably will, uh, um, you know, they're going to be on the outside looking in. And Geno Smith, I think five weeks ago, was in line to – I can't believe I'm saying this. Depending on what happens to Lamar Jackson, Geno Smith was in line to be the highest-paid quarterback this offseason. Right. Right? Unless, you know, he can come back with Seattle. But he's a free agent. And now – He's turned the ball over a lot the last couple of weeks, and his team went from being what looked like a team that's going to make the playoffs to anything but now. And they finished the year at Kansas City, New Year's Day at home against the Jets. You want to talk about um, Bill Simmons, loser leaves town. That might be a loser leaves town game, Seahawks-Jets. And then they finish it. If they're able to win that game, they're probably playing for a playoff spot in the final week against the Rams. So Geno, Mm -hmm. look, again, I'm not saying he's going to beat the Chiefs, but he's got to be able to not turn the ball over. And then they've got to win those last two games of the year against the Jets and the Rams. Otherwise, they're not making it. And then you're asking yourself, if you are the Seahawks who are in rebuild mode, uh, do we want to now pay $30 million, $35 million a year to Geno Smith? So, right. Which, like, he probably won't get that much money, but still he needs to get a contract at some point, right? He signed one-year deal after one-year deal everything led to the idea of him not having to do that again. And now we're questioning that, right? We're going to talk about Tua at some point in a little while here. Tua showed up in that loss to the Bills. Geno Smith's going to have to have games, even if he loses to the Chiefs, where he shows up and puts out some good performances here because that's where the question marks lie, right? You're not expected to beat the Chiefs, 
but you have to do something positive because if you don't and you keep turning the ball over, the Seahawks brass is going to say, man, this was a really good run. It seemed nice, but what are we doing? Are we going to go seven and nine for the rest of our, our Geno tenure here? Is that is that our destiny, right? And then all of a sudden, is he a backup quarterback again? It feels insane to say, but that's actually where that's actually where his career is at again. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does moving forward. All and right. dude, you, you said really quickly, you said you don't think he was in line to get that much money. When you consider that Tannehill and Carson Wentz are getting $28, $29 million a year this year. Sure. Um, five weeks ago, Geno Smith was in line to get a $30 million plus contract. Uh, now, yeah, not so much. So he wants that money. He wants the bag, which I love Geno. I, you know, I, I wish it would have worked out for him here in New York. He got clobbered in the face by, I forget who the hell that teammate was, who basically got washed right. out of the NFL that year. Um, that was like the beginning of his downfall. Um, he's had the resurrection year this year. Um, but you know, the last couple of weeks now he's, he's turning the ball over at the worst possible times. And, uh, without Kenneth Walker, he looks like a backup quarterback. So they got Kenneth Walker back Lockett's going to be out. He needs to be able to hit DK Metcalf a ton and they've got to be able to sustain drives and, and finish them off of points. Yeah. Went from a multi-year contract to possibly a stopgap guy yet again. All right, quickly, Taylor Heineke. I don't think anyone really thinks that highly of Taylor Heineke. They all like the cut of his jib, if you will, for lack of a better terms here. But uh, we're not kidding ourselves here, right? Taylor Heineke is just a, a stopgap slash backup. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, and, and as much as I wanted to buy into the the hype of you know XFL quarterback, okay, this guy actually could be a legit starter. I mean, the game against the Giants on Sunday night once again reminded you, yes, he's only a backup. The game against Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, where the defense won it for them in the final drive, reminded you, yeah, he's only a backup quarterback. The fact that he most games can't even break 200 yards, he's done it the last two weeks. But I mean, he had a couple where he was like 149 yards, 138 yards. With receivers like uh, Jahan Dotson, who I know was hurt for a little bit, but you know you got Scary Terry, you got Jahan Dotson, you got Logan Thomas, you got Curtis Samuel. They've got plenty of weapons, uh, not top tier weapons, but they got plenty of weapons to the point where Heineke, as much as we want, as much as I want to buy into him being a starting quarterback, he's got to perform. And I think that performance on Sunday night, um, you know, fumbling in a key spot twice. Um, was really an indictment on, again, the reality of who he is as a quarterback in this league. I got to say this, too. As a Giants fan, I was petrified of Brian Robinson, and I'm grateful that they did not pepper him more because he was dominant against the Giants. I mean, I felt like he was getting eight yards a clip. And, and that's how they beat the Eagles, man. And yeah. it's – I just eh, – they should have ran the ball like 40 times in that game on Sunday night. Yeah. Oh, the difference a few weeks makes, man. It's crazy. All right. Last thing on the quarterback front, we'll obviously talk about some other quarterbacks when we get to our next segment, but this game is not a uh, left for dead game for the most part. It could be for the Buccaneers, but Tom Brady, man, what's going on? What's going on with our boy, Tom Brady over here. It it just seems like he can't put together four quarters. I I feel like that's been the issue because there's basically a quarter or two, every single game where Brady looks like Brady. And then there's, a quarter or two every game where we're saying, who is this guy? Why can't this offense score points? Yeah. And, you know, again, I I said it earlier in this podcast, the game against Carolina was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. And that was the, you know, because they've been struggling all damn year. Uh, That was like the first game where I was like, whoa, 
I was like, okay, it's not just the offensive line, which everybody likes to throw blame on. I feel like everybody's scared because anytime you think Tom Brady's about to fall off a cliff, Max Kellerman learned that the hard way, right? And then he ended right. up winning how many more Super Bowls five, after five that? Years too? Ago, six years ago. What was yeah. That? <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, this is, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to factor in the, 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 the Giselle divorce, how that's playing an effect on his mental, um, you know, capacity right now, his mindset. Uh, I don't think that's as big of a deal as everybody has made it out to be. I think it just comes down to the fact that the offensive line, yes, it isn't that good, but Brady is panicked the second he gets under pressure and he will just willingly, instead of staying in there for an extra second, knowing that he's probably going to take a hit, but maybe get a guy, you know, on the same page and hit that timing. He just throws it at their feet and he's killing plays when maybe they don't need to be killed. And so when you can wait an extra second or two and the offensive line again, and it's not been good. I'm not saying stay in there and just get clobbered six, seven times a game, like Mike white, and then break, you know, have damage to your ribs. Um, but at least, and, and bulls has not been a good head coach. I think that's evident once again, that he's probably not going to get retained after this year, unless they go on a magical run. Now the next couple of weeks, I mean, we've been waiting for it to happen, but and you can blame, you know, again, there was blame on Mike Evans for a couple of weeks where it's like, oh, it's Mike Evans dropping passes more so than ever in his career. Yeah, there's also a lot of times where Brady has overthrown him, airmailed him. Um, they're just they have not been on the same page this year. And you can't just have it one way without having it the other. Uh, they also don't have that much of a run game, but that's the system that they adopted that Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles adopted when they got Brady is, OK, we're going to throw the ball like 40, 45 times every single week. Um and when you can't throw the ball successfully, you have no offense. So they actually were doing really well in the first half against Cincinnati because they were going play action, right? They were establishing at least somewhat of a running game. And then Brady, I think they ran play action like 9, 10, 11 times in the first half. I saw a stat on Twitter and they were gashing Cincinnati and they played probably their best first half of the entire season. And then I don't know what the hell happened in the second half. They stopped running the ball earlier. Um, well, they were throwing the ball on first down with a lot of success, but they stopped running the ball successfully. And when you do that, the play action isn't, isn't effective. And then that third quarter, I mean, again, that's all, that's literally like all Brady fumbles the ball going down on a sack botches. He literally like fumbled the ball out of his hand, going to hand it off to Fournette and then just threw a terrible interception and threw two, two picks mm-hmm. in the game. So, uh, dude, I, I, I would love to say that, Brady's going to turn it around and I've been betting Tampa Bay like almost every week and losing every single week on them. So I want it to happen more than anybody, right? I don't want to see, I hate seeing legends and goats of the game fade into irrelevancy because it's one of the toughest things as a sports fan to watch, right? It's tough to see LeBron James decline this year. It's tough to see Tom Brady decline this year. Uh, So you want them to have their swan song like Leo Messi did in the world cup. But I just don't know if that's going to happen for Brady because I've been waiting for this offense to flip the switch for the entire year now, and it hasn't happened. So I don't know what's going to change over the final three weeks other than the fact that the vision is so bad that they're probably going to get into the playoffs, and then they can fool us all if they put it together for one week and they can beat the fraudulent Cowboys and you know maybe set themselves up for a run. I still think that's possible, but again, it wouldn't surprise me if they – don't make the playoffs. I think yeah. it could be that bad. 
Well, that was going to be my question, right? Because it's not about Brady having something to prove, right? Brady has nothing to prove. He can retire tomorrow, and we could all say, thank you for everything you've done for us as sports fans. So he doesn't have anything to prove, but as far as this year, the Bucks have something to prove, and he's obviously at the helm of that. If you want to back the Bucks into the end of the season and into the playoffs, then yes, there is something to prove for this team. And right now, I'm looking at DraftKings, minus 360 to win the division. And the Carolina Panthers, one game back, plus 500, currently holding the tiebreak with one game remaining. So here we go. Buccaneers have the Cardinals on Christmas Day at night. That's the 8 o'clock game on Christmas night. Then they have the Panthers in week uh, 17, followed by the Falcons in week 18. The Panthers, on the flip side, have the Lions on Christmas Eve, the Bucks the following week, like I mentioned, and the Saints. What are the odds here, Pat? Is it worth a sprinkle on the plus 500 Carolina Panthers to win this division? It sounds like you might consider throwing a small shekel on it. Well, dude, if you think they're going to beat them again and they crushed them 21 to three when they played them the last time, if you think they're going to beat them again, those odds are going to be the exact opposite if Carolina does indeed beat them. So forget, you know, the minus 360 and saying, oh, wow, you know, the odds are, are so Tampa Bay can't blow this division, right? If they lose to Carolina, that's it. Right. That's it. Unless the Panthers obviously lose the other two, of course. Yeah, but yeah. for the most part, what 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 think what makes you think that Tampa Bay is going to win both at Arizona and at Atlanta? Right? They both seem like on paper going into the year, you're like, all right, those are two easy W's, especially against the Atlanta Falcons. Right. And now that there's no Kyler Murray, you're like, oh, that's an easy W. Dude, I mean, they're a mediocre team. They are a bad <laughs> football team. Yeah. They're, they are one and three in their last four, and then only win was a miracle in the last two minutes against New Orleans. They should be on a four-game losing streak. Right. And that's yep. coming off the bye. That was coming off the bye in their game against in Germany against Seattle. And they have then now been one of the worst football teams since that since their bye week, which is inexplicable. Yeah. And and to this and to this moment right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 52%. 53%, sorry, it's gone up just a tear, a touch. 53% success rate once reaching the red zone, which is just so un-Tom Brady-like that it's hard to fathom, but that is where we are. That is where we are, so we shall see. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, just really quickly, Pete, let's say they lose to Carolina and they win at Arizona and they win at Atlanta. The Bucks are 8-9. and nine. So Carolina then, if they win that game uh, against Tampa Bay, they're currently 5-8. and eight. That gets them at six and eight. Or excuse me, they're currently five and nine. That win against Tampa Bay gets them to six and nine. Uh, they would have to win out. Yeah. So they would have to beat Panthers Detroit. hold their own destiny right now. They do hold their own destiny. All they have to do is finish with the same record if they beat Tampa Bay again, but they would essentially need to win out. If they lose against Detroit, then they need Brady to uh, they need to beat Brady on New Year's Day and they need the Bucks to lose against Arizona or Atlanta just to have a chance. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible. It definitely is. And, and I mean, hey, I'm here for it. I'm here for chaos, as we always are on Subway Sports Talk. We're here for the chaos of the NFL. And let's continue to talk more about that chaos. Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle. Let's do one more segment here, Pat. Teams that are left for dead. Teams that if they don't get it together right now in week 16, their season is basically over. There are a couple teams that we got to talk about here. And I, I, it's tough to start with this one because it's on Sunday. It's not one of the Saturday games, but I don't care. It is the most interesting to me. 
Right now we have the Green Bay Packers at the Miami Dolphins on Sunday. We obviously have talked much about Tua and the Dolphins this year. We haven't spoken much about the Green Bay Packers uh, probably since much earlier in the season. However, Packers are at 6-8. and eight. They're behind only the Lions, Seahawks, Commanders for that playoff spot. Packers at Dolphins, man, they're, they're, they're maybe figuring it out a little bit. Are the Green Bay Packers, Christian Watson becoming that threat that, that Aaron Rodgers needed, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones starting to figure it out a little bit. The defense is all right in Green Bay, but the Dolphins did prove something. They did show up. They showed those big balls that we didn't know that they, they, that they definitely had against Buffalo on Saturday last week. Pat, what's your take on this game? Currently, the line sitting uh, at Dolphins minus four, but this one feels like it's the end for the Packers if they can't. Well, it is the end for the Packers if they can't win it, but it also feels incredibly important for the Dolphins to win because if they lose this one, the Jets, the Patriots, the Jaguars all on their ass. Yeah, I think Miami has the chance to effectively close the door on the outsiders uh, preying on their downfall uh, if they can beat Green Bay on Christmas Day, right? They'll be nine and six. They will essentially be in the playoffs unless they, um, you know, lose the final two games of the regular season. And even then, uh, the other teams, you know, would have to basically win out. So Miami can, um, you know, really take a big, big sigh of relief if they beat Green Bay on Sunday. But, you know, you look at these two teams stylistically, Pete, and Green Bay matches up pretty well with them. They've got a top five passing defense. They only give up, I think it's now less than 200 yards a game through the air when you factor in the game on Monday against Baker and the, and the Rams. And Miami, for the most part this year, hasn't been able to run the ball. They are pass first. It's Tua, Tyreek, and, and Waddle. But they ran the shit out of the ball against Buffalo on uh, back on Saturday night. If they run the ball like that, they ran for 188 yards on the ground. I'd have to go back and check, but I got to say that's, I would guess that is by far their most this season. Um, yes. They got Mostert looking like Mostert in the NFC Championship game with the Niners a couple of years back. Salvan Ahmed had a touchdown, ran the ball really well. 25 carries as a team for 188 yards. If they can run the ball with Mostert like that um, and get creative in the run game, they'll be able to beat the Packers, and that'll be it for Aaron Rodgers. We'll see if he's going to come back next year. And uh, like I said, that'll be a huge sigh of relief for Miami. Um, Green Bay absolutely has to win out. They have to beat the Lions. They have to uh, beat the Vikings. And they still, even then, need some help. Uh, but, yeah, this is a big game for a huge game for both of these teams. I wish that this was going to be in, in prime time, you know, Christmas night in Miami. I think I'd rather yeah. that uh, than what we're going to get with Brady and the Bucks against Arizona. <laughs> um, yes. especially because the Knicks are on at 12 on Christmas day. So that's going to be tough having to flip back and forth between the Knicks and the, the dolphins. And I don't know about, I don't know about you and your family, but my family, we usually don't start opening presents until about like 11, 1130 because everybody's always up late as hell the night before. So like we're only usually get done around 1231 o'clock. Um, so then to just go right into all of a sudden Knicks and then the dolphins and the Packers, that's going to be a lot, but big game, I got to give props to Tua for the way he played on Saturday night because it looked like, you know, my prophecy was coming true, the demise of Tua in this offense. And then um, in the cold, harsh weather in Buffalo, hostile territory, he showed up. And I don't know why the hell they were running press man coverage on Tyreek Hill and not pressing him and not jamming him at the line of scrimmage. 
Uh, but give Ty Tua a lot of credit. He had to make some throws. He had to drop some dimes in, and he did. So he performed really well. And Green Bay feels like they're a little frisky now. They've won two in a row. You sandwich the buy in between. That's going to be, that should be the best game that we see on Sunday. Yeah, I'm very excited for that game. And, and you know, all the AJ Dillon fantasy owners out there who definitely did not make the playoffs because he was a disaster this year, right? Like, if you had AJ Dillon and you actually relied on him in fantasy, like I did, unfortunately, in two leagues, like, you know, you were disappointed. And now you're watching this man rip off 15 yard runs, score touchdowns, and you're like, what the hell, bro? Where was this the entire year? We've known this since week one that their strength was Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Why are we not peppering those two players constantly? And it seems like one of those ruts that a team falls into where, you know, it, it just kind of gets away from you too quickly. It's almost like a team in the NBA that they go down by 12 in the first quarter, so they decide to just start chucking threes, right? Like, that's kind of what the Packers season has felt like this year. They went down early with a couple bad losses, all of a sudden, you know, Aaron Rodgers is chucking up interceptions. I saw the statistic on the game that, that, that was on the other night. He threw 10 interceptions this year. That's his most since 2010. It's been over a decade since he's thrown double-digit interceptions. And that, to me, feels like the season just got away from them. And, and there is other realms of this universe where this Packers season looks entirely different based off an outcome that changed a little bit here, a little bit there. Right. Like some of these tough losses, like they lose to the Giants, they lose to the Jets, they lose to the Commanders. Like these games that you think Aaron Rodgers and the Packers should win, if you replay this season over and they lean on their strengths of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, where's this team at? Are they currently an eight win team and not a six win team? That's the difference of them now looking on the outside end of the playoffs here. And, and you're right, they're frisky. If I'm Chris Mule, one of our friends of the show here, I'm nervous about this this Christmas Day game against the Packers because they're playing with house money now too. They have nothing to lose. But with all that being said, if you're a Dolphins supporter, if you're a Dolphins fan, you have to feel incredibly good about your head coach and about the toughness of your team and your quarterback right now, Pat. I don't want to you know repeat everything you just said, but they really showed up on Saturday and no real fan wants to hear about a moral victory. But that was a moral victory in my eyes. And I think that can lead them to a multitude of success. The fact that they ran the ball like that, we didn't think that was possible. We didn't think they had that in them to, to be that physical up front and, and get it done against a really good Buffalo Bills defense. So this is a matchup that is probably the game of the week if you really think about it. If you think about all the games here, and we could talk about a couple more before we say goodbye here, that might be the best matchup of the entire week. You can talk Giants-Vikings. You can talk about, you know, the Bengals Patriots having a good bit of, of playoff implications here, but I don't see a better game on this slate outside of Packers Dolphins. No, I agree, man. I agree. And you talk about, you know, to finish your point on Rodgers too, the season got away from them. That, that You perfectly said that. And <clears throat> we knew it was going to be tough to get the chemistry with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and Romeo Dobbs getting hurt for what the last five, six weeks he came back on Monday mm -hmm was huge, but him getting hurt was a big blow to this team. And it was like, okay, well, after that week one where, where Watson drops the wide open pass, it's like, you know, he got, he got phased out by Rogers for a couple of weeks. And it always, it felt like it was like, all right, we'll give a couple of weeks. They'll, 
you know, Watson will get the chemistry going with Chris, uh, Rogers will get the chemistry going with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. They'll run the ball effectively and this team will be fine. And then Matt LaFleur said, yeah, watch this. We're not going to run the ball with, with Aaron Jones and, and AJ Dillon. And we're going to do the exact opposite of what, you know, we're going to, we should be doing to be successful. And as much as, you want to blast young receivers for not being that good yet. You got to blast Aaron Rodgers for not doing whatever it takes to get that chemistry with these receivers. And there was an article that came out in the athletic where people were crushing Aaron Rodgers for, you know, you saw that hand signal, I think it was late in the game where he wanted Watson to just kind of go right out in the flat and throw the ball to him right away. And Watson didn't do it. And you had an article that came out like two days before that about how Rodgers has like these secret hand signals that they don't actually teach, but the receivers should know. Mm. And then McAfee asked it to him and he goes, yeah, it was like a nothing burger. It was like, okay, but was it though? Because they, <laughs> yeah, there was like right. multiple former Packer players that were quoted in the articles. So, you know, a lot of this goes on Aaron Rodgers and everything, the ayahuasca, the, the you know, the mushroom trips and what was he, he going to come back? Was he not going to come back? That really delayed, I think, their ability to get going in training camp so that these okay. lulls, that that five, five game losing streak that ultimately probably ends their season didn't happen. Right. That 15 nine loss against Detroit shouldn't have happened. Blowing that game against the Giants in London shouldn't have happened. We should mm-hmm. be talking about the Packers once again, um, you know, being able to make a, a deep run into the playoffs as long as Rodgers is playing. And it's not. And he has right. to be crushed for that this year, just as much as you want to crush LaFleur or the run game or anything else. Yeah, because I'm talking about two games to switch up their their playoff outlooks here. It's really just one. If they win one of those five games and, and the three that stick out are the Giants, Jets, Commanders, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, one of those games and all of a sudden they're in the playoffs right now. For a season that feels dismal and feels like such an embarrassment for the Packers, they're literally one of those games away from being in the playoffs, and yet they're still not dead yet. They have a chance. They, they need some help they need the Seahawks and Lions to go down they need the commanders to go down but they're in range here still at six and eight so this game on Sunday obviously being the biggest game of their season and I would definitely do mushrooms with Aaron Rodgers wait what oh. what wait what <laughs> <laughs> wait what'd you say yeah, yeah, so no funny. I probably I honestly probably would too although I don't know <laughs> Rogers seems like if he likes you, he's like one of the best guys to hang out with. But he also he's got that smug, arrogant yep. prickness to him that if he doesn't like you, it seems like you're never going to get along with him. And it's just like those guy, the guy that you have to work with, and you show up and he, he you see him and you just go, oh, this fucking well, you, guy again. no, it's the guy. You, it's not even that. It's the guy you can't get a read on. It's a guy that you have that one conversation while you're heating up your lunch one day, and you're like, ah. I think me and Aaron are, are figuring it out. We're turning a corner here. We're becoming friendly office acquaintances, you know? And then, then all of a sudden you pop by his desk. Hey, Aaron, you know, who you start in fantasy this week? And he's just like, yeah. and you're like, what, what happened? I thought, I thought we were cool, man. Like, you know, that's what it is for Aaron Rodgers. It's a, it's a give and take. It's very, very strange, but all right. A couple more things to point out here. Uh, left for dead teams. There's a couple of AFC teams here, Pat, that I want to bring up. You got a slew of six and eight teams. Uh, We talked about the Jaguars already. We got the Raiders, the Browns, and the Steelers. The Raiders and Steelers playing one another. And the Browns, obviously, they all still have a chance. Technically, they need a whole lot of help. But what what team is being left for dead this week particular? Is it the Raiders? Is it the Steelers? Or perhaps your old team, the Brownies? I think for sure it's the Steelers, right? I think now that, um, and again, Let's revisit my preseason pick of saying that the Raiders are going to win the AFC West, right? And how (laughs) 
if they didn't start out one and four, and if they haven't blown five double digit leads this year, oh, uh, they're probably in very good position, like eight and six, nine and five, right in the mix, right in the heat of things as being one of the best, you know, uh, you know, a three, four, five seed in the AFC, but you know, whatever, that's what, that's what happened. Josh McDaniels is a loser. And there you go. But that being said, they've won four out of five, right? They're four and one. The only loss was the collapse against the the Rams. They should be uh, have a five-game winning streak. So they feel like they're playing really good football right now. And with the Steelers, it, you know, Kenny Pickett, I, th- is, I think, is most likely coming back uh, to play that game on Saturday. But, you know, it just it feels like the Steelers have kind of just been in like the background of the NFL this year. Like, yeah, you're not going to be that good. Tomlin will maybe find a way to keep you close to 500 this year. Like he does every year, but um, you know, and, but here we are again, the Steelers win this game. They're seven and eight and they have a, they still have a chance. They're still in the hunt. Uh, Whoever loses this game, they're done. Right. I think we can both Mm -hmm. agree on that. Whoever loses and goes to six and nine, there's zero shot. You're making the playoffs. Um, and again, it feels like the Raiders, they have the tie break over Cleveland, um, you know, based on winning percentage in conference games. So if the Raiders win this game, they're at seven and eight, they still have a shot. So it feels like the Steelers are being left for dead. And yet, as we sit here, Pete, on Tuesday night, about to hit midnight on Wednesday, would you believe me if I told you the Pittsburgh Steelers are three point favorites? No, I would not actually. I is that true? The Pittsburgh Steelers are three. Oh my god! Who's out? Is somebody out? Favorites. Who's out for the, Who's out for the Raiders? I honestly don't know. I literally just saw that as I said it to you, and I couldn't believe what I was saying. Now, here's the thing: Deontay Johnson is questionable. Najee Harris is questionable. Kenny Pickett, although he is expected to play, I believe on Saturday, yeah, is is officially questionable. Um. Now, all three of those guys could play, um, but, you know, outside of that, the Steelers' defense has been playing really well, you know, since since T.J. Watt came back. You know, again, it's it's uh, the game against um, that game against Carolina. He now has a sack or more in the last two games. It feels like he's getting back in rhythm. The Steelers' defense is, is playing how we thought. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, dude. I'm trying to see here for Vegas. Nobody that I see right now – is hurt. Uh, they've got a couple questionables on the defensive side of the football and the offensive line has been a, you know, suspect at times this year, but that doesn't make sense to me. The Steelers well, he, are three point favorites. Here's one thing. So I saw this tweet from field Yates earlier, and it's something to really note for anyone who plays fantasy or is gambling on Saturday. It is going to be frigid in the Northeast and, and even beyond into the Midwest on Saturday. So here are some of the temperatures that it's going to be feels like at, at kickoff for some of these games Saturdays at the bears bills at bears, negative 11 feels like Seahawks at chiefs, negative six, right on and on saints at Browns, negative nine Texans at Titans, five degrees Falcons at Ravens, seven degrees. And here it is Raiders at Steelers feels like negative four degrees. Is that enough for a three point spread for the Steelers favor? Oh feels God. fishy. My friend, it feels Fishy, my friend. I will say that very much. Right now, I'm seeing 62% of the bets on the Raiders, 75% of the cash. So maybe uh, maybe it's a sharp play. I don't know, man. It feels sketchy as hell. Yeah, I'm seeing a high of 13. Winds 15 to 25 miles an hour. Occasionally gust over 40 miles an hour. 
It's going to be um, a disaster on Christmas. That being said, the Raiders have Josh Jacobs, right? It feels like they're a team that can kind of withstand a game that has no passing attack, right? If they run the ball, like we've seen Josh Jacobs run the ball at times. And meanwhile, Pittsburgh, you don't know what the hell you're getting out of Najee Harris on a week-to-week basis. And I don't know. I mean, right? Like the Steelers' defense is really, really good. They've been playing good. They don't get enough credit. But, I mean, again, enough to make them three-point favorites? I very don't know sketchy. about that one, man. That is very sketchy. Very, very sketchy. And, and that's with... going to be a game, too, where you're probably not seeing a ton on red zone, but it's going to be one of the biggest games in determining who's still in the hunt after Saturday and Sunday. Very, very sketchy. That's the Saturday night game, actually. That's the night game on uh, on Christmas Eve. Wow. Oh, you're right. That is. That is 8.15 yeah, NFL Network. So, wow. So, it's going to be super cold, dude. What a mess. Oh, my God. Happy Christmas, everybody. Uh, and w- with all that being said, the Browns at six and eight are two and a half point favorites home against the Saints, who, with all the scenarios we just laid out for Pittsburgh and Vegas, you know, the Browns are right there right now. Granted, two of th- this is the, the problem for all of these teams right now. The Jets and Jaguars play each other and they're all technically ahead. So one of the teams of the Jets and Jaguars is going to stay ahead of those other teams and the Patriots likely to lose against the Bengals, as, as we'd all guess even though that spreads only three and a half in the Bengals favor. So I don't know, man, (laughs) I don't know. It's going to be wacky. It's going to be weird. And at the end of the day, we can talk about all these scenarios. The most likely scenario is the chargers and dolphins hold on to those final two wildcard spots. So that's pretty much it. I mean, with all, with all that being said about the teams that are left for dead, it seems like it's going to be dolphins chargers in the playoffs for the AFC, which feels correct. Let me add that. It feels you're leaving, like you're stupid. leaving a lot of teams for dead right now. I'm leaving them all for dead. I'm leaving them all for dead. Unless the Packers beat the Dolphins this weekend. I think all of those teams are for dead. I think it's going to be Chargers fins in the playoffs. What if the Jets win on Thursday? <sighs> the pack. The, it's still up to the Packers. It's still up to the Packers. I, re- I really think that because who do the Jets have in the final two weeks? They have the Dolphins again, right? Patriots and Dolphins. No, not yeah. Patriots and Dolphins. They play uh, Seahawks and Dolphins. Seahawks and Dolphins. Yeah. So the Dolphins control their old destiny, man. I don't know. I think yeah. all those teams are left for dead. And, and you think, are you sold on the Chargers now? I know you, that was a, t- a talking point for you in terms of betting them. And I know they play Monday night at Indianapolis. And you think after we just saw them blow a 33 nothing lead, that this team is totally, totally done and totally dead and has no motivation. Um, but are you thinking, uh, if, who is the safer bet for you to make the playoffs out of those two, Chargers, Dolphins? The Chargers are a safer bet to make the playoffs, but the Chargers are never a safer bet to bet on in an individual week. I'll tell, you, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, four point favorite against the Colts. I guarantee that I'm taking the chargers in some way or another. And I'm, I'm, but I will not take them minus four because can we all not just imagine the chargers playing a good game and then the Colts coming back and it being tied and the chargers having to win on a field goal. Who's shocked. Who's shocked if the Chargers win by three? It happened again. On, it happened literally again on Sunday, right? Tannehill yeah. goes out for like an entire quarter. They score on the first drive. They're up seven nothing, and they don't score again until the fourth quarter. Yeah, or, that, I, or however long it was, and then they they have to kick a field goal in the final minute to win the game. So yeah, I trust the Chargers about as far as I can throw them, and I can't throw them minus four. I can't. That's I can't throw them that far. <laughs> I can't. I can't yeah. throw them minus four yards. I, I can't throw them that far. It's impossible. They're, they're too heavy. I don't know why they can't, they can't do it. So yeah, oh, I don't know. Boy. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, look, any team that has six wins right now, you, you, 
you got to think you still have a puncher's chance. Um, yeah, crazier things have happened. So, yeah, again, loser of Raiders Steelers is done. The Browns are playing the Saints. They ob- obviously have to win or they're done. And then uh, J- loser of Jets Jaguars, you would think, is also done. Even if the Jets, even if it's the J- the Jaguars, they're seven and eight. Jets fall to seven and eight. It would feel like the Jets are absolutely done. Right. And it, it would still kind of feel like the Jaguars still have a little bit of a chance just because of well, the momentum. But the if, Jaguars if the, can also win the division. The Jaguars, yeah, that's and that's the thing. Yeah, the they can win their division because they're only a game behind Tennessee right now. And, and they have the tiebreak over them. I think they played each other last week, too. That's yeah. going to be one hell of a game. Unless the Jets beat the Jaguars on Thursday, then you would say, okay, they're probably done. Right. Jets are right back into the mix. Man. Football, baby. I'm, I'm, I'm here for the Jaguars. Uh, to win the division. I, I'm not technically, I'm not rooting for them on Thursday in, in one way or another until I pick a side on Thursday night. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for the Jaguars over the Titans. I'm done with the Titans. I don't care about them. And what's the chances that uh, the Patriots get it together after their collapse on Sunday and beat the Bengals? Stupid. It'll be so dumb, such a dumb, stupid game because of the way, <laughs> the way that they lost on Sunday or Saturday, whatever day it was, what day was it? Did they lose Sunday? Sunday. I don't know what day it is anymore. The way that they lost, nobody in America wants to bet on the Patriots right now. Nobody. Why would you? They're pathetic to watch on offense. Their defense isn't that good. And and yet, like now I'm I'm questioning it because it's three and a half points. Right now, I'm seeing a huge spread of money on the Bengals, which makes sense to me, but it's sketchy. It scares me. That should be a five and a half point spread or six point spread. Why is it three and a half? The Bengals defense has been electric in second halves of football games, not letting some of the best offenses in the league even get an inch. And yet the Patriots, they're only three and a half point favorites. Sketchy, sketchy. I, I don't know. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? Sketchy. 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 God damn it. All right. Last thing we got to go. This always happens, but uh, giants at Vikings, three and a half point favorites are the Vikings. Obviously off the greatest comeback in NFL history, which we actually didn't even really talk about for more than a couple minutes, but Vikings 11 and three, not playing for that much because they're not really in it for the one seed right now, two games back on Philly. Um, They're not really fighting for their division. They already clinched that. So what does this mean for the giants at the Vikings minus three and a half? Giants 1000% are in the playoffs if they win this game. And then I can't believe I'm saying this, Pete. We're actually having a conversation. Well, one, it's going to be once again, the Vikings are frauds, right? Even though the Giants are right now, they're a playoff team. They're eight, five and one. We know what the defense has done this year, even despite all the injuries and how bad they looked the last couple of weeks. Daniel Jones has proven he's going to be the quarterback going forward. Saquon, that fourth quarter he had, putting that game away against Washington was absurd. This couple of spin moves he ripped off at full speed. My God, he's having a tremendous year. And he pulled himself out of a little mini slump because teams were just stacking the box against him. It's going to say, once again, everybody's going to say, all right, the Vikings are once again frauds. And that was a miracle comeback. And, you know, now they, they should have lost three in a row. But flip side. If the Giants win that game in Minnesota, can you hear yourself saying, hearing, thinking the Giants could actually pull off an upset in the first, maybe even the second round and get to the NFC Championship game? Could you hear that if the Giants win on Sunday in Minnesota or no? 
I don't know. I don't think I could. I don't think I could. Let's see. I mean, they would most Cause likely. Because well, here's the thing. Right now, the season ended today. We didn't play these games this week. They're playing San Francisco on the road first week, and you think there's absolutely no shot. They're scoring even double-digit points against that defense. Right. But if the Giants beat Minnesota and, they would and the 49ers propel themselves ahead of the Vikings, you could be looking at a rematch. Giants-Vikings first then round of the chance. playoffs. There's a chance. And then after that, Pat, after that, I forget how the bracket will work there. I believe... I believe the Giants Vikings winner would play the winner of Dallas Tampa if this is uh, correct here, right? Or does it reseed in the NFL? They I forget. Reseed. Uh, so it doesn't. It wouldn't matter, perhaps. So if the Giants get the six, and the Vikings are the three, out. the Giants win. If they're the six seed, unless the seven seed also wins, the Giants would then be going into Philadelphia. Right. So then it's over. See you later. They can't be. But it would be great. It would be great. It'd be great if they can uh, if they can get the Vikings in the first round because I, I think that's a beatable team. I think the Vikings are good. I think they're beatable and good. Those two things can exist at the same time. I don't think they're frauds. I don't think they're trash. I think that was all overblown. And shout out to Cody O'Connor and myself who, with the Vikings down by sixteen points or seventeen points, whatever the hell it was, bet on them plus three and a half live, plus seven and a half live, plus two fifty live. The only thing I wish is that I kept hammering it because I got scared, obviously, when they went down by like 24 or whatever. I didn't keep betting it because I was like, all right, well, that was stupid. No, it wasn't. They had a chance and they came back and won. Vikings do not suck. They're not frauds. They may just not be world beaters. I think those things can be okay. Yeah, I mean, their defense is terrible, right? The defense is, is absolutely terrible. And the defense wasn't even that much to blame. On no, Saturday, shit. I Cousins agree. threw a Cousins threw a pick six. They had a yeah. punt blocked for a touchdown. They turned the ball over on downs inside their own thirty. The defense didn't even play that poorly, but they've given up four hundred and fourteen yards a game this year. The yeah. secondary's been a sieve, so it feels like any team on any day can beat them. Whereas you you want to be saying about a team they can beat anybody on any yeah. given day. And and I was thinking, uh, I think I said it in the group chat. I was like, it feels like the Colts haven't done anything. Right. And, and I think Patrick Peterson went on his whole rant saying, like, if you think about it, the Colts didn't do much. They were, it was a really weird, ugly game, like you just explained. So, yeah, uh, you know, let's go, Vikings. Come on, let's go. I don't know. I'm here. I'm here for the Vikings. Justin Jefferson's Minnesota man. Kennedy's. That's our, that's our betting <laughs> shared, you know, Discord that we share our bets in. That's what we call it. Cause you were, you were a Viking guy. And I said it, dude. I said it earlier this year. I was like, you know what, Pete? I'm like one Vikings win away from jumping all on the train. And that was the week before they beat Buffalo. Yes. They, to, they got to seven and one. They took, I was like, if they take care of Washington on the road and go to seven and one, I'll be ready to say that the Vikings are Super Bowl contenders. And then they go in and they beat Buffalo. And since then, they got crushed by Dallas. They lost, they got crushed basically by Detroit. They were never really yeah. in that game. And then they should have lost to Indianapolis. So, right. so who are they? I don't know. <sighs> who are they if they didn't beat the Buffalo Bills, too? Sketchy. Sketchy. <laughs> That's the word of the podcast. Sketchy. Oh, man, Pat, this was great. Great episode, as always. I love talking sports with you, man. It's always a pleasure. So Nobody, so nobody better, Petey. Nobody better than you. Uh, you have any more you have plugs? Any more shifts uh, fan hosting this weekend coming up? No, a lot of producing. A lot of producing the DA, the morning show on CBS Sports Network, DA show. No hosting right now in the works over the next week or two, but we'll see. I appreciate you always uh, asking. Will you be there Friday morning? 
this Friday? Yeah. I will. See you I will there. I'll be working on the DA show once again, so I will see you there. Filling in for our old friend Emmanuel Barberi on the overnight into Thursday into Friday, so I shall see you on Friday morning. Oh, let's go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, that's it. Subway Sports Talk. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you didn't listen to the Knicks pod, if you're on YouTube here, check out the Knicks video on YouTube. If you're on podcast app, you already heard it. So thank you for staying with us for this hour-long episode, hour-plus, whatever the hell it is, and we appreciate you. Picks pod coming later in the week, Christmas week. Very exciting. A lot of good games. Cannot wait. We'll keep it going. Right here on Subway Sports Talk for Pat Boyle. I'm Pete Kennedy. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers.